It's the World Cup road trip from Red Square in Moscow, the full-time edition. Goodbye, Russia 2018. Francis Leach and Tony Wilson, we have been bringing you the World Cup day to day, from city to city, from moment to moment, and trying to bring you all the flavours of what Russia in 2018 had to offer. Along the way, we haven't forgotten that this country is in the centre of most things globally, politically at the moment, and we've asked ourselves constantly, what does it all mean? What has the World Cup done to change things for ordinary Russians? And what purpose has the World Cup served for the regime in Moscow? Who is the big winner here? Football certainly was, but what price was that paid by ordinary citizens in Russia? And also, what victory has it been for Vladimir Putin and his regime as it tries to establish itself and its legitimacy in the eyes of the wider world? He would have been jumping for joy last night, those scenes of him basking in the glory of the French team being presented the trophy in the pouring rain at Luzhniki Stadium. That was the moment that he wanted. And today, as I stand literally at the gates of the Kremlin on a warm summer's day with St Basil's Cathedral just to my left, Vladimir Putin is an inn. He's in Helsinki meeting the US president. Putin goes there as the ascendant one. He's just hosted a successful World Cup and the US president's been crashing through Europe like a drunk elephant in a china shop. So... What does it all mean? Has this been a giant propaganda victory for Putin and his regime? On the other hand, what's it done for ordinary Russians? They're for the first time, maybe in their entire lives, come into contact with a tsunami of foreign visitors, the likes of which they may never see again, who have probably introduced them to ideas and views on the world that they maybe never thought they'd hear. They've also shown us a face to Russia which we didn't expect, a warm, opening, humorous, optimistic, funny and deeply moving experience it has been getting to know ordinary Russians. So we're not shying away from asking the hard questions. Have we been enabling the Putin regime by being here and being part of the spectacle? Or maybe have we shifted the needle a bit the other way as well for ordinary Russians to think what is possible? These are the things that we're going to try to answer in our final edition of the World Cup Road Trip. So where to start? Well, the ABC's James Glenday has been to Russia numerous times before the World Cup at a time of heightened political tension between Russia, the West and Australia. So he experienced Russia before the charm offensive of the World Cup. So what was it like to come back during the Festival of Football? What changes did he notice? And just how much of it will be lasting? I caught up with James Glenday in London on the weekend that England were playing in the quarterfinals. And we sat down and had a chat about Russia then now and in the future. Tony, I'm at the magnificent Prince Alfred Hotel in Battersea in the sunshine with the ABC's James Glenday. He was also out in Russia for the World Cup and we're enjoying a beer, James. Good to see you, my friend. Yeah, cheers. Good to see you. <laughs> um, how did you enjoy your first World Cup experience? I think the World Cup part of it was pretty good. Being at uh, the Socceroos games was amazing and particularly I think because of the number of Australians who are actually there as well because that was kind of a surprise to me. I didn't think that there would be quite as many passionate Australians um, following the team as there were. You've been to Russia a few times and in the previous attempts to get there it hasn't been easy. Tell people about that because there's been a fractious relationship between Australia, Britain and Russia leading into the World Cup and you had to knock on their door a few times to get in. Yeah, yeah, uh, more than a few in fact. But 
I think a lot of people going to Russia and who are there in Russia at the moment will think, wow, what a friendly, loving place this is because the people are nice always and the hospitality is great and things are kind of set up so they're semi-functional at the moment. And I'll say semi-functional because, you know, it takes a long time to still do basic things that we'd take for granted. Indeed, I just bought you a beer and I did that within about 30 <laughs> seconds. Now, two beers in Russia, what, 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 what clock are we running, do you reckon? Oh, 30, 30 minutes, <laughs> maybe, maybe, and then one will arrive, you know, <laughs> and it'll be the wrong time. I, but I think the reality is that... Um, Russia's putting on a pretty good show at the moment um, and it's gone very well and you have to give them credit for that but at the same time you kind of got to be aware that it's a big PR opportunity for the Russian administration the Kremlin and um, it was always going to be that and it's gone off without a hitch which is great for them and it's also great for everyone who visits but obviously there are a lot of people living in Russia who don't really have uh, anything close to what we'd call democratic freedom or even freedom really of expression at all so because you've covered in the past the opposition in russia during elections and and you felt the heat being there for doing that as well you know those people how would they be feeling about this picture postcard vision of russia that is being projected to the world do you think oh they hate it well they don't hate it i mean they're still proud of russia i mean this is the weird thing i mean you kind of get this image perhaps being uh, in the west or in australia or america or the uk as it is but that you know, that uh, people are against Russia or for it. But the people living in Russia who are very much in favour of Russia and uh, they want strong institutions in their countries and perhaps a slightly weaker president, whereas what they've got at the moment is a very, very strong president and completely, you know, not futile, but very, very weak institutions. So only one thing, if, if something happens and it's big, it's happened because the top down wants it. And, and I think there's a bit of frustration that... Uh, this is, I guess, sports washing is a term that's put about that an event like this kind of masks the difficulties that people have. I mean, in Kazan, where the Socceroos were based, we went to the local office of Alexei Navalny, his supporters, and they said they're followed day and night. They aren't allowed to hold rallies at the moment. They're not allowed to do these basic things. And I'm not saying that we would agree with their policies or anything like that, but we would certainly agree in Australia, I think, with their right to hold protests or their, their right to stand up for different things that they believed in. And they don't think that they have that opportunity ever. Has this event, do you think, made that even harder for them now? Because most people will say, Russia, what's the problem? Yeah, I, 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 there's sort of... I mean, the counter-argument to what I'm saying is that, uh, oh, well, you... A big event like this puts lots of spotlight on the bad things happening in Russia. And to an extent, I agree with that. But that sort of happened a few weeks ago. Now it's all been lost in the football, hasn't it? You know, we're watching France and Uruguay and everyone's focused on that. They're not focused on the fact that, uh, you know, there are lots of stories about gay people being persecuted or the fact that political opposition is basically non-existent or the fact that free media is basically and regularly crushed. So I think that they're angry that an event like this is happening because what it does, I mean, you ask normal Russians on the street now who's responsible for bringing the World Cup to Russia and who's responsible for making Russia great again or putting Russia on the world stage, and they'll say Vladimir Putin, and they'll say that because that's what they're told by the uh, state media, which is basically broadcast by him. I think there's that sort of content that is worth, you know, kind of looking at as well. And the way that Russia views Australians, because we've had uh, in our recent history some, some really you know, sharp moments. The MH17 issue in particular brought that relationship to a head in a way that uh, you know, was probably at the height of tension since the Cold War. How have you been treated when you've actually dealt with those issues prior to the World Cup? Dealing with those issues? Coldly. <laughs> I mean... And it's unsurprising. I mean, there's a lot of Russians very, very proud. That was my experience. 
Uh, there's, they don't really believe what the media tells them, which is unsurprising because they don't believe in the, what the state TV tells them, but they also don't believe what Western media says as well. They see a lot of the different things like the MH17 or the poisoning in Salisbury as uh, propaganda or as some sort of excuse to provoke Russia as part of this post-Cold War kind of game. And I think that's how a lot of ordinary Russians might perceive it. Others are very sceptical of their administration as well, but they go hang on, this is better than what we saw in the early 90s after the dissolution of, you know, the USSR. So, hang on, Putin might not be perfect, but he's a bit better than what we've had in the past and he's stable and I can live a pretty good life. So, that's, you know, I mean, you kind of hear that, you do hear a lot of different arguments, but I'd say that would be it. But challenging the status quo, you can have a great life in Russia, I think most people would tell you, as long as you don't challenge the political orthodoxy of the day. And if you do, then you're going to run into trouble. James, I think the folks here at this uh, hotel, Megan and Prince Alfred, are going to challenge Russia's record for the <laughs> slowest meal ever served. It'll be here very soon, mate. Let's enjoy the second half. Good to talk. Great to get your insights and a real insight into what Russia is like beyond the World Cup because we don't want to give people the impression that it's uh, it's all football and sunshine and rainbows. It is, it is a nice place, though. I mean, I, yes, I, I, yeah. no, no, we love them at a ball, but we don't it want to be there with, it, it, yeah. with, with, um, with a, you know, some sort of... Uh, romantic view of what it's like to live there. No, it's effectively a semi-authoritarian state and all of the different trimmings and trappings that come with that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated World Cup. A big thank you to our sponsor on the road trip. The sponsor of this podcast is supersimplecards.com. Supersimple Cards are a attractive, uh, handy and affordable alternative to an expensive card down at the local gift shop. Uh, purchase a 6 or 10 or 12 pack of the cards and you'll never be caught short wanting for a greeting card. Uh, they're fully compostable. They're, the inks are biodegradable. So they're an environmentally friendly alternative to some of the other products on offer. Go to supersimplecards.com and stock up your present drawer for future emergencies. Supersimplecards.com. Use the offer code WORLDCUP and you'll have a 10% discount as well as free shipping. And thanks for supporting us on the road there in Russia. Not everybody's buying the new Russia that's being sold to the world courtesy of the FIFA World Cup. One such person is Bill Browder. Browder's remarkable story is captured in his book, Red Notice. It tells the tale of a young American capitalist and hedge fund manager arriving in Russia in the mid-90s and hoovering up Russian assets for next to nothing, turning them into huge profit centres for his investors. That was all well and good, and he was pretty much on side with Vladimir Putin when he first became president of Russia, because one of Browder's other activities was exposing corruption in the Russian business community. That was something that Putin had campaigned long and hard about, up until about the time that he ponied up with the oligarchs and started to make sure he could cash in on their activities and brought them inside the tent. Suddenly, Browder was the problem. He was denied entry to Russia and then subjected to a $230 million tax charge, something that his then lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, still in Moscow, set about disproving meticulously. Magnitsky paid a heavy price, the ultimate price for his defiance of the Putin regime. He was arrested, beaten and held in detention for over a year before he eventually died in a Russian jail. As a consequence, Bill Browder became a full-time human rights activist. The Magnitsky Act, which was set up 
and uh, dedicated to the memory of Sergei Magnitsky's bravery, sets out to identify and punish known human rights abusers in Russia and elsewhere. What it does is individually target those people so that they cannot spend their money, they cannot travel, they can't enjoy the fruits of their ill-gotten gains in countries that have signed up to Magnitsky. As a consequence, Bill Browder is not very popular with Vladimir Putin. Doesn't stop him speaking out though, despite the risks. I sat down with Bill Browder in his London office to talk about what is the outcome of the FIFA World Cup for Vladimir Putin and what it means for Russia and its people. Bill, you're in London watching the World Cup. England's gone nuts for the World Cup. You must have mixed feelings about how this country's reacted and what the World Cup actually means. Well, I mean, you know, of course, I'm rooting for England and was delighted when they uh, won the last last match um, against Colombia. But the the um, I mean, putting the football aside, what, what what bothers me about the World Cup is that um, it, for for people who aren't paying attention, who are football fans, who are actually going to Russia, um, it kind of looks normal. You know, you don't know that you know the streets, you know, the cafes look normal. They have they serve pizza in the pizza parlors, and you know. Stadiums are relatively, you know, new and well built, and so people saying, "Well, what's everyone fussing about so much with this Russians?" And um, you know, they're not—they don't have the opportunities to see the, um, the, the the torture chambers and dungeons and and you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the real evil that, that goes on there. And so, effectively, what Putin has done, and he and he's done this very consciously, is he's. He's trying to sort of normalize um, and create pub- public opinion that, like, you know, what's everyone fussing so much about Russia? You know, um, and and that, that that I do find difficult and and um, uh, and it irritates me that that he's succeeded in 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 sort of winning this this huge PR victory. So, those of us that have attended the World Cup, have we been enablers of sorts? Well, I, I don't think that attending the World Cup makes you an enabler, but um, it's hard to not um, uh, feel sort of it's hard not to feel normalized about it when you've been there and nothing bad happened to you, and you're saying, "What's everyone complaining about?" You know, you, the, you weren't in MH17. You weren't my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, who was tortured for 358 days. You, you, you weren't. You know, people don't really know. You know, they can't see the bad stuff, and so they and and so it it kind of leaves you with this impression. Well. Yeah, okay, maybe a few bad things happened there, but look, I was there and so was everyone else and nothing bad happened to us and so therefore it's okay. So how do we get to a point now where we challenge those regimes that are going to be hosting these major events because one of your great uh, campaigns is campaigning against impunity. The next country to host the World Cup is Qatar and whilst it has a different range of, uh, of serious issues, it acts pretty much along the same lines. Yeah, well, I mean, it's these. I mean, the the, the whole FIFA thing is just disgusting. It's a cheating organization, full and and uh, you know, and there has been no consequences, no real consequences for all this corruption and bribery and dirty tricks that, that was done there. And and Qatar should have never been awarded the World Cup, nor should Russia have been, as obviously all because of bribery and bad faith. And um, uh, I would hope that that that. Um, Outside of FIFA, that, that um, I'm working on a, a legislation which we now have in seven countries called the Magnitsky Act, which um, imposes asset freezes and visa sanctions on corrupt people and human rights violators. And I would hope that that at some point this could be applied to people in FIFA who who took money, so that everybody gets so scared that in the future they only award it to countries that are behaving themselves properly. 
And just to finish, in terms of those people within Russia who will look at this, and maybe a little despairingly seeing that it's been a huge PR coup for, for Vladimir Putin in the way he runs the country and their voices are even more distantly heard, what chance have they got of actually being able to voice dissent and, and have an opinion and, and be an effective opposition? Oh, you can't voice dissent in Russia. If you do, um, you, 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 you lose your job, um, you get arrested, um, you get tortured, you might even get killed. Um, dissent is is totally not tolerated in Russia. Putin has got such thin skin, and he's so brutal. And there's no there's no legal system to protect anybody. So as we leave, we should always remember, even though Russia looks good, modernity is no mask for civility. No, it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a Potemkin village. There's this famous story about a Potemkin village where they where the um, the czar of Russia wanted to go around and see the progress being made in the countryside, and so they would put up these fake fake uh, uh, storefronts and, and and houses without any house or store store behind it, and they would put the village in place. The the emperor would dr- drive through in a horse carriage, say, "Oh my God, look at all the progress!" They would they would go and go to the place where they were staying, and then they they would put take the village down and put it up in the next place and and keep on doing that. And that's what this Russia is all about. Francis, the party's over. It was won by France and worthily too. They were fantastic, especially in the second half of that final. Lucky in the first half, two goals from one shot on goal. Uh, that may never happen again. And the VAR decision was just a no-win decision for the referee. It was a brutal one, which is why he hovered so long over it uh, because it did touch the hand and the hand isn't meant to be outstretched. But at the same time, perhaps no human can jump without the hand in a balancing position. And if it did flick a French defender, the Croatian had no time to react. So we had a drama-filled, goal-filled final to to cap off our drama and goal-filled World Cup. And uh, I basked in that final for a little while. And it was around about 3 in the morning or 3.30 in the morning that I saw Vladimir Putin emerge and stand under that umbrella, sheltered by seven or eight security guards who were um, holding the umbrella for him. And I thought, oh, are we out there holding that umbrella too? Um, Did we legitimise Putin's World Cup? In a propaganda sense, he gets what he wants from the tournament. And were we out there living at large, helping him get what he wants? Um, and we wake up today and, and Trump's holding hands with him at a press conference, uh, metaphorically. And Putin's handing over a ball, a soccer ball, um, just to reinforce what this tournament has meant to him. And on the question of collusion in the 2016 US election, uh, we have a, a, a bald-faced statement from, uh, from the sitting president that we are to believe this dictator, uh, this murderer of journalists, um, that Russia did not collude in the 2016 election um, and we're supposed to believe him over US intelligence agencies and, and long-term allies like um, the UK. So it's, it's, a, it's a startling and perhaps historic day um, in world news. Um, And we wake up to that this morning and the post-World Cup feels very post-World Cup. 
but you and I did ask these questions throughout, um, and I'm not sure if being troubled is enough, but certainly we talked about it constantly amongst ourselves. And when we met people on the way, we, we did talk politics and we asked about this situation. And we got answers from both sides of the spectrum. There were some Russians who are doing okay in Putin's Russia, and, and they'd tell us that having a strong and stable Russia is more important than enjoying some of the freedoms that we in the West take for granted. Uh, but we also met people who weren't happy um, and who were willing to tell us that they weren't happy. And in particular, Francis, there were two girls, and I know that you'll remember them as well as I. Um, we had a very uh, fascinating and quite illuminating and quite depressing conversation with these girls. So here they are with some honest political speak uh, from two young students in Russia. Well, we're here at the barbecue, the Green and Gold Army Barbecue in a park. Where are we? It is a park, yes. It is a park, yeah. <laughs> I knew it was a park, but what's it called? Is it <laughs> Alexandra Park? Alexandra Park, yeah. okay. And uh, we're here with... Here with... Uh, and yeah. you were asked to be the suddenly the tour guide. I've never seen a tour guide go so negative as you went. <laughs> because I'm not a tour guide. Yeah, yeah. So you started saying, what did you come here for? Uh, <laughs> it's not so remarkable, this city. Uh, why? I probably wouldn't come here. It was a real blast of fresh air in the face from what we normally get from tour guides. Is that right, Francis, would you say? Well, you gave us the honest version of really refreshing. Yeah, so would you say that you are Miss Honesty? Could you tell us the honest truth about uh, today's Russia? Wait, wait, where should I start? Later, no. <laughs> well, can you tell us the honest truth about Russia? Is that dangerous? I think I can, but it is dangerous, yeah. Well, I think it's safe to say that most of the population of Russia is not satisfied with literally everything. For example, I am... Yeah. Especially Rumi, I'm yes. very dissatisfied with this country. You know, I'd like to get out of here. The latest example of that, could you help me with that, please? Of course. No. Which uh, one? The, the very day when the World Cup began, uh, what, what did our government do? What did they do? I don't remember. They raised the pension age. Oh, yeah. That, that was the, the most terrible thing the country saw. And they raised the taxes as well. So they raised the age that people could retire yeah. and they started taxing people more. If you're unhappy with that in Russia, what do you do? We do nothing. Nothing. Because people are oppressed. And people believe that if we take action, we, get, we could get arrested for life or get killed or something could happen with our families. And that's why most people do nothing. So you feel intimidated in a way from speaking up? Yeah, that's true. We do, yeah. And, and you know, you, you say that you feel that way. Is that actually the truth? Or do you think people could be more critical that's actually the truth yeah because there is the opposition in russia of course you know it, it, it's risen in the last couple of years or so and it's people maybe from the state and its leader is being arrested constantly for a month for two months it's like he's getting out the next day he, he he's going back into jail and every and the people who are taking part in the protests alongside him they they also get arrested here. And so, what about at the university? Is there a lot of because you've both uh, finished university yeah. now, um, yeah. but you've been at the university? Is there a lot of dissent at the university and people whisper? Oh, no, no, I don't think so because most of the students are pro-Putin, yeah. you know, pro-government, and 
you know, just because they get some bonuses, they get some, what, some vacations in Crimea, mostly. If you support Putin, that's the way to get ahead. Is that the way you get ahead? Not really, no. No? No. Only, you know, the chosen people really get something from Putin. No. Who are the chosen people? What do you mean by that? You need to get noticed by him, by him yeah. It's what I mean. And what's a way of doing that? How do you get noticed by Putin? You become a volunteer, for example, in his uh, election, election campaign, for example. Yeah. And not just a regular volunteer, yeah, the head volunteer. For him, like on the streets. Yeah. I don't know. Or just participating in this global event, sporting event like World's Cup. I think, yeah. In a way, us being here, are we in some ways validating Putin? By having the World Cup, do we make him look like a better person than he is in the eyes of the world? Well, kind of. Kind of, yeah. And is there some opposition in Russia for this event because because it is associated with the government? Yeah, absolutely. There are lots of people who protest this, protested this um, event because of the money, the amount of money. I mean, there's an outrageous amount of money that was spent just to show off the superiority, I guess. Yeah. That's, That's what you should do. Yeah, we're just trying to... I guess, yeah, Trevor Noah was right. Russia is trying to rebrand itself. Just to show this hospitable side of Mr. Putin. Do you... If you voice that opinion amongst your friends or at work... You, you, gotta, you gotta be careful about that. Yeah. So you have to self it You don't know who you can trust. Because if you but can... For instance, we... If we talk... Like among ourselves. Among ourselves, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amongst the friends, again. No. Even if they don't, if they don't agree, they won't say anything. There's, there's anything wrong with being. Are you optimistic at all that anything will change? No. 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 That's pretty sad. I don't believe in this country. I'm saying me neither. I'm being really honest. I don't believe in it. I mean, it has some kind of potential, but I think it's going to be fully realized. So what's your plan for yourself? Get out of this country, that's it. And get my father out of here also. And what about you? Well, I don't think that it would be as easy for me to get out of the country, but I think maybe we could change something with a try, but it won't work. I'm sure it won't I mean, work. You'll be surprised that change happens in the most unexpected way. Yeah. So It never happened in Russia. It happened, it could happen. Yeah, of course it could happen. Russia, I mean, if you just consider the whole timeline, the history timeline, so much stuff happened during the 70 years. Not just the 70 years, I guess the, the last century, right? Yeah. We went from imperialism to, to, communism. to communism and then to capitalism. Yeah. And now we have this. What, what would you this? call this? What would you call this, what we've got now? Oligarchy? Probably, yeah. Probably. Yeah, it perfectly fits that. Tim Stanley's another outsider who came to Russia, but he's still here working. He works for an organisation called Control Risks. He's the managing director of that company here in Russia. And what they do is advise foreign businesses about the pitfalls of doing business in Russia. Business intelligence, really, assessing risk, those who you should work with, those who you shouldn't, and the consequence of doing business here. He's on the ground here and he knows how the politics of this place works. He has a mixed view on Russia and its future and the role of the World Cup. We had lunch in Pushkin Square and took a walk afterwards to discuss Russia now and the future. So Tim, in the wash-up, was the World Cup a great win for Putin? I think 
everybody who was here who's seen it who's been looking at it from outside would agree it's been an extraordinary competition it's an extraordinary time for russia i think uh, 90% of the russian population are delighted that it's happened certainly there was a bit of skepticism up front uh, but that's usually the russian way um, but i think people would say yeah it was implemented well uh, it's transformed we think people's outsiders views of what russia is and what russians are like as a people and that could only be a good thing i think in the long term did we get an authentic experience of russia during the world cup or have we been shown the russia that the the government here wants us to see that's a very good question i think in any large event like this you're going to get to see one side of a country um the side of the russia that has been shown has been one of hospitality one of efficient organization one of welcoming guests uh, and that's absolutely standard for russia at any time uh, there is another side to russia i think that people will not have had access to during the competition and that's the one where people struggle against the authorities that's one of sort of authoritarianism that's one where there's a real um, lack of rule of law uh, and that's the one that the people here in russia live with every day how do they accommodate that then because we've noticed that there is a, a level of prosperity that wasn't here 20 years ago but it's at, at, a, at a price of maybe uh, watching those sorts of rights that we might presume for ourselves ever way as the country gets richer and the government more powerful I think what's happened is that you know Russia went through the trauma of the 1990s where the country was collapsing in every way shape or form. Um what Putin has done and why people respect and admire and like Putin is that he's brought in discipline, he's put the country back together again if you like, he's put it on the right track. And I think most people historically will look back at this time and period and say well actually that was the right thing at the country stage of development. I think what needs to happen now and unfortunately there doesn't seem to be too much um too much uh perspective on this happening right now or too many signs that it's going to happen but what ha- needs to happen now is the move towards the next stage of development which is more about human rights about individual rights around rule of law as a business person someone who works in, in this country how how have you been able to navigate you know maybe your own sense of of what is right and what Russia expects to be able to do and and what it sees as right You know, a lot of businesses came in here, I think, uh quickly hoping to make money. Um they cut corners, they did they behaved in a way that wouldn't be acceptable back in their home markets. The people who succeed in doing business, the foreigners who succeed in doing business in Russia are the ones who are here for the long term. They try to understand what's going on, they make a real effort to get to know people, structures, the way things work, the language, the culture. Um but they can do that and and you know I'd I'd like to think that we've been able to do that without cutting corners without compromising um areas around sort of business ethics morals what's right or wrong effectively sometimes sacrificing short term profit for a longer term gain do you sometimes wrestle with the fact that say opposition is suppressed and there are any number of stories of our journalists being either killed or, or warned off uh from doing their jobs that you're working here working within that system how do you how do you balance that with yourself whenever we take on a new project here we always assess the risks associated with that project uh, one of those risks will potentially be our ability to continue to operate here and do business in the long run so that's certainly something we assess uh, you could say we're relatively conservative about the projects and the people we we work with and and how we work um because we are people who assess business risks for other parties i think we're relatively good at doing that on ourselves 
So yeah, we're relatively conservative. That may mean, as I say, sometimes we have to forego a, a, what might be a very um, lucrative or interesting project. But it, uh, you know, we've been here since 1994, and I think the intention is that we're going to be here for another sort of quarter of a century. You must have lots of Russian friends. What's it meant to them, the World Cup being here, and the number of foreign, foreigners being here? And, and uh, this is probably the biggest influx of, of people they've had ever in the history of this era of, of Russian life. Maybe the Moscow Olympics brought some people here, but never on this scale. I haven't heard of any sort of complaints or cavils from any of my Russian friends at all. Lots of jokes, lots of internet memes going around, but sort of poking fun at themselves. And, I, you know, you've been here uh, six weeks now, and you'll see that the Russians do actually have a great sense of humour, and they do like to poke fun at themselves in a very positive way, I think. So, I, you know, it's brought in a lot of people who perhaps would have been cynical before. I think it's shown them that actually Russia is as normal a country as anywhere else it has good management good experience good you know organizational skills um and i think a lot of people have slightly feel justified you know sort of you know they were right to hand it to us we're delighted that people outside russia can now see that we're no different to them we don't have three heads you know we we sort of look the same we talk the same more or less we act the same we have the same needs we have the same wishes and I think there's a certain amount of people feeling, well, finally, outsiders, you know, have seen a bit of the, the real Russia. So if nothing else, if there's one thing the World Cup has done, it's been able to introduce the rest of the world to a different view of Russia that maybe it hadn't had. I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, Russia's been its own worst enemy in this. I mean, it's still that sort of Soviet legacy of cutting yourself off from the world and being hugely suspicious about external influences, anything that comes from outside. And you see that in history, you see that in culture, you see that in society. But I think... What is something has changed now? It's flipped in in the Russian psyche. Um, and Russia's sort of become much better integrated into the rest of the world. It's really now up to the authorities to make sure that legacy continues. And I'm delighted to see that overnight um, Putin said that they're going to maintain the visa free uh, the visa free regime for um, fans until the end of this year. That's a step in the right direction. It's not. You know, it's not the be-all and end-all. A lot more work needs to be done. But saying to the rest of the world, come and see the real Russia, that's a really positive thing. So you're an optimist about Russia? You have to be an optimist. I've been here 10 years now. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, be, uh, you wouldn't be here 10 years if you weren't an optimist. On a sunny day like this in Moscow, what, what is there not to be optimistic about? Tim, thanks for talking to us. Thank you very much. Well, Francis, well done on those interviews. Um, a fascinating and different take to the sort of stuff we presented throughout the road trip. Um, and I feel like we have said our goodbyes a few times. We said goodbye to football. We said goodbye to each other. We've said goodbye on the podcast. It's a little bit like uh, getting off an aeroplane and saying goodbye to the person you sat next to um, at each point along the departure chain. Uh, but certainly we have come to the end now and it's time for Prochet, Francis, a proper and final Russian goodbye, uh, at least in a podcast sense. And it's also time to say a couple of thank yous. Thank you to Courtney uh, you've been a star. Uh, we've just been uploading the files and you've been packaging them and putting them together in there at Nearly Productions. And uh, the podcast would not have happened without you, Court. So thank you. Um, thank you to the Green and Gold Army and to Mark Ledgley. Um, he accommodated me on the trip at the last minute um, and I was so fortunate to come. 
only made the decision six or seven weeks out from the tournament to go to this my fourth World Cup and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made and the other reason I could make that decision is that my lovely wife Tamsin um, she looked after the four kids she encouraged me to go she said have some fun and have a break and I did both of those things and it's uh, it's a truly memorable uh, month and thank you very much Tam um, for letting me and helping me do it I really appreciate it and so uh, it's a final proche for me as well and we hope you enjoyed the the podcast and um, and I hope very much that we'll be back at another World Cup Francis uh, you've just presented the complicated political circumstances of this one well it's not going to let up in Qatar in 2022 I know that you're vowing not to go I'm probably following your lead uh, and yet um, there is that draw that attraction that unprincipled part of me that may drag me over the line again uh, so um, I uh, I'll just have to wait and we'll have the conversation and uh, and see and see what happens but until 2022 and beyond uh, Prosha Russia. Well, that is it for the World Cup Road Trip 2018. My thanks to Courtney Carthy, our producer. He is the magic man on the buttons who has brought this all together with such speed and dedication to detail that we are in awe of his work. Thanks, Court. This has been your journey as well. We hope you've gotten an experience of what the World Cup is like and, more importantly, an authentic version and taste of Russia, which is what we were hoping to bring to you. Until next time, from Francis Leach and Tony Wilson, we'll catch you on our next road trip. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. I'm Molly Hockey. I'm an actor, writer, comedian. I'm 40, I'm single, and I'm trying to get pregnant, so I started Spermcast. I interviewed potential sperm donors, doctors, witches, scientists, surrogates. I did hilariously awkward home inseminations. I got pregnant. I had a miscarriage. I laughed. I cried. A lot. I got sperm from a sperm bank and started fertility treatments. Now here I am in season three. If you're pondering motherhood or in the thick of trying to get there, or if you just like comedy and watching a woman lose her ever-loving mind in real time, subscribe now to Spermcast. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.